You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we'll be discussing a topic that we covered in the very first episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast, and that is the topic of oracles. About two years back, when we first discussed oracles, several ideas and concepts that we talked about were mostly theoretical in nature. Since then, the industry has come a long way. Several Oracle-focused projects have gained hundreds of millions of dollars in market cap, or even billions of dollars, I would say. Most of this has been fueled by the growth of decentralized finance or DeFi. But at the same time, there are multiple bridges being built to connect real-world data to blockchains, whether it be for DeFi or even other applications. So with that in mind, we thought that this would be a good time to do a follow-up episode on oracles, focusing on some of the more popular projects today and talk about what they're focusing on and uh, how they differ from each other. So before we begin, uh, let's quickly revisit some of the very basics of oracles and why they are required for blockchains. So what is a blockchain? A blockchain is nothing but a distributed ledger maintained over a decentralized network of computers called nodes. Whatever data gets written onto a blockchain, a copy of it is maintained on these nodes. As long as this network of computers is secure against something like a 51% attack, the data that gets written on this blockchain is tamper-proof. So even though blockchains are very good at making data tamper-proof, one of the key challenges is how do you make sure that the data that is getting written onto the blockchain is accurate to begin with. So, um, for example, for any real-world applications, whether you're tracking the temperatures of your pharmaceutical shipments and uh, writing that temperature or pressure data onto a blockchain, or whether you're building financial applications that need to have an accurate price feed of uh, prices of commodities such as oil or natural gas or gold or silver, the key question is, how do you ensure that the data that is being entered into the blockchain is reliable and accurate? So this is where oracles come in. Uh, an oracle can be described as that reliable source of data that can go into a blockchain and then be used by various applications within the blockchain ecosystem to work on real-world problems. So basically, oracles help an end user benefit from the security aspect of blockchains and the smart contracts that run on these blockchains, at the same time, work with real-world data. So, uh, Nikhil, is that a good explanation of what oracles are and what they do? Sure, yeah, that's a great explanation. And uh, if I may just uh, provide a slightly uh, uh, nuanced or a slightly different point of view. Uh, you can, so one, you mentioned that oracles are a source of external data. And, uh, uh, the, the question basically is that, you know, how do we know that the data being written into the blockchain is accurate in the first place? And obviously, I just want to clarify a little bit over there saying that there is a difference between external data being written into the blockchain and the 
data that is being generated within the blockchain itself, right? So one way of looking at it would be to think of the blockchain as a, a distributed ledger, like you pointed out. It's a distributed database. But one interesting uh, property of this uh, of blockchains is that the time difference, the times when transactions are settled, right? So uh, if you can imagine the state of a blockchain uh, as uh, a, a particular set of balances, right, for uh, the various prices that uh, or uh, the the various outputs of a smart contract, and so the 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 blockchain basically has a certain state at one point in time. The next time that state changes is when the next set of transactions are written into the blockchain. And that happens at a discrete time interval, right? And one of the interesting properties of the fact that, you know, the system is uh, self-contained and uh, uh, self-checking and transparent is that you uh, you can be sure that the data and the transactions that are being generated within the blockchain are consistent within the blockchain, right? So if they are not consistent, then that uh, transaction is considered invalid and uh, dropped off. So uh, so if it is like, as long as it is data, uh, like balances between different accounts or uh, actions being done within the account or calculations, you're fine because they will be internally consistent. But the problem basically is when you have external uh, information coming in. And the reason why external information is important is that obviously you want to do things that uh, rely on or influence uh, stuff that happens in the external world, right? So if you think of your blockchain as a system, uh, it needs to rely on signals from outside the system to influence certain things. And obviously uh, that is where the oracle comes in. And the oracle uh, is conceived of as this reliable way of gathering that information and putting it into the blockchain. Because uh, since it is coming from an external system, the blockchain has no way of internally verifying that the consistency or the accuracy of that data. One quick question. Uh, I mean, I, I was listening to this interview of uh, Sergey Nazarov, who's the founder of Chainlink. So apart from providing this real-world data you know, that is being requested by applications within a blockchain. One of the other benefits of some of the Oracle-based ecosystems is to actually do certain computations which are more difficult to do on-chain. So, for example, Chainlink has something called a VRF or a verifiable random function, which can create randomness uh, in a verifiable manner. So, uh, this can be relevant to any applications that rely on unpredictable outcomes. So, for example, if you make a game of dice, or any other game, you know, where the success of the game is dependent on uh, randomness, right? So, right. Uh, so in a way that, you know, that cannot be predicted or gamed. Absolutely. Or in the real world, if you have a court case and you want the judges to be assigned to the case with actual randomness so that uh, no party can influence the judge beforehand, you know, so uh, then verifiable randomness would immediately become pretty valuable, right? So um, I guess my question here is, uh, Nikhil, from a developer's point of view, can you explain why it is difficult to do a computation like verifiable randomness uh, on-chain? So again, it leads back to the whole question of consistency, right? So in order to create, a, so for, for the for, so first, a clarification, right? Uh, from a mathematical perspective, it is not possible to create a truly random variable, uh, number, 
right? So you have to have, it's what are known as pseudo-random numbers. That is uh, numbers with sufficient unpredictability that they meet the criteria of randomness. Uh, the problem to doing that within blockchains is that um, in order to generate that particular random function, you have to rely on some kind of smart contract or some kind of internal uh, data or uh, signal which is within the data set that is available within the blockchain and the, uh, the code that is available within the blockchain. And unfortunately, all of that is public, right? So it's all of it is available, it is transparent, everybody can see it. So if everybody can see it, then uh, and, and they can look at how that particular random number is computed, then it is possible for them to kind of uh, predict uh, what the random variable could be. And even if it is uh, uh, a number, an algorithm that creates, uh, that, that is hard to kind of predict, the as soon as that number is generated uh, and a transaction is created that transaction is immediately available before it is written into the state right so right. you have to submit the transaction and then it has to get accepted by the miner and then the miner has to write it into the state and in that particular uh, uh, interval of time uh, everybody can see what that transaction is and know what that random number is right so it kind of becomes, it defeats the purpose. So it does, it's no longer random, right? So right. that is the fundamental problem. And uh, with a verifiable random function, what an oracle basically is doing is that it is doing this particular computation, but not showing you the random uh, variable. It is showing you a proof of the computation that says that, okay, this is going to be a random function. Uh, it is indeed an actual random variable that meets your particular uh, criteria. So basically, it is not the the random number itself is not visible externally uh, to anybody. Only the proof of its uh, that it is a verifiable random uh, value makes sense. So uh, moving on, we know that. You know, uh, when we look at the applications of uh, oracles, we know that DeFi is a very big use case for oracles. But could you very quickly lay out some of the other use cases, you know, where you think blockchain applications would find value in using external data? Absolutely. So, uh, uh, like we talked about verifiable random functions, that is basically not a DeFi use case per se. It is basically a use case for any uh sufficiently complex system uh, requirement that you want to build or any sufficiently complex application you want to build there is a certain amount of uh, requirements uh, like you said you know dice rolls or uh, uh, impartial choice of uh, uh, judges or whatever what have you right and uh, so that's so that's one important input that you can look at uh, another one obviously that uh, is the kind of a uh, fundamental uh, need for DeFi is the uh, price uh, prices of various items. So it can be crypto. Uh, uh, it can even be other blocks blockchains, right? So it, if you are like, for example, working in the Ethereum blockchain, for all practical purposes, Bitcoin's blockchain is an external system to you. So you you need an oracle to be able to get the price uh, or the the state of that particular blockchain for you, right? Uh, or it can be uh, the, st uh, the price discovery for stocks, commodities, all of that. So uh, price feeds and price discovery is definitely one uh, 
important uh, piece of information another one is uh, generally events that influence certain industries right so for example uh, insurance insurance is a great place where they take a lot of external uh, factors uh, in order to uh, calculate uh, their risk and uh, predict uh, how uh, come up with models to uh, understand how insurable certain things are right so it could be things as uh, uh, varied as the weather uh the state of uh, uh, economic states of various countries uh, uh i don't know the predicted uh, uh political news that is there in that country there's there's a lot of factors that can go into it uh so that the insurance is a huge use case uh another great use case is uh, obviously in in the uh, gambling or in the betting industry uh where you have bets uh created uh, for various events and the outcomes of various events so obviously you want to know reliably where, what was the outcome of that event so these are kind of like large areas where uh, oracles are used and uh, uh, yeah the where uh, blockchains uh, require information from external systems in order to function Uh, another one uh, if i can uh, yeah, just thought of is obviously iot right so you want for example to be able to uh, i don't know automatically run various iot devices based on external uh, inputs or external factors uh, maybe you want to switch on uh, air conditioning at a place based on the temperature or something and you want to do it through the blockchain in a decentralized manner for whatever reason then that that might be another one as well yeah i'm i'm glad you mentioned about the insurance as well uh, like i was listening to this somewhere and uh, apparently in some countries it's actually not legal to have a farm insurance or agriculture insurance so mm-hmm. uh, this sort of a uh, you know decentralized ecosystem you know where you have uh, the weather data coming and you know based on that you kind of predict you know what what would be the risks you know for your crops this year it basically gives the farming community a, a an alternate option right uh, to hedge their risk against bad weather yeah it's it's also very important for futures right so for example uh, if you are in the futures market for uh, grain or for uh, uh, you know the standard ones that are there in the commodities market these kind of signals are important because a future is essentially uh, a promise to buy a particular commodity at a few, uh, at a in the future at a certain price right so you want to get as much information about what could be uh, the uh, the state of the world at that particular point in time in order to make that kind of uh, bet great so uh before we look into the various projects that are out there and uh, how they work uh i mean the the last time we talked about oracles on the show was 2 years back and uh, obviously a lot has changed since then mm-hmm. so uh one question that i have from a more macro perspective is where do we stand currently you know as in if we were to compare the current growth and adoption of defi and decentralized applications and these various products if we were to compare it with the internet boom in the 90s in what stage are we right now and where do oracles actually stand as an enabler for the growth of blockchains and crypto to become something as big as what the internet finally became so uh, i think oracles are a 
pretty foundational technology, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, if you look at all the things that have happened in DeFi, uh, the things that have the maximum market cap, right? If you look at uh, the stablecoin phenomenon, the derivative uh, trading, uh, the uh, automated market makers, uh, the lending protocols, all of them basically depend on some kind of price information or price feed of some sort, right? And uh, uh, this this kind of is kind of like all provided by an oracle of some sort. Uh, so be it, a, even if it is an automated market maker that is trading uh, between two uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, right? So it's a currency pair between two cryptocurrencies. You still need some kind of price feed to be able to tell you what is the relative value of these two cryptocurrencies across the world or in, in various uh, exchanges to be able to make sure that uh, the AMM is uh, able to uh, function properly, right? So it's it's almost like an enabling technology, in my opinion. And uh, as from from when you look at it from the internet's perspective, uh, it's kind of like uh, just the user interface uh, of the internet. Uh, I mean, without. Uh, without the computer screens and the uh, data entry being done, uh, the internet is just machine uh, data moving between machines, right? It's not really useful to uh, an external person until there is some kind of display or some kind of feed into uh, that uh, into the various databases on the internet. So it's it's like asking, okay, would the internet have been useful without uh, any human beings providing information into it <laughs> any external real world into input into it right so yeah theoretically you could do a game that stays within that world but uh, it's not going to be powerful enough because it doesn't affect your real life right and in, the internet basically became powerful because uh, suddenly there was uber and uh, uber was allowed you to actually hail a cab or you had Airbnb that allowed you to uh, <laughs> book a rent a house, right? Uh, and and you had all these kind of uh, tools that uh, gave you information about the real world, uh, uh, news about the real world, uh, weather information. So it's it's kind of a fundamental part of it. And uh, the blockchains basically, while you could trade cryptocurrencies with each other. Uh, it really does not have any meaning until uh, there is some external real-world value that can be either derived or provided from uh, provided into that uh, system. Great. So uh, with that, let's uh, move into uh, looking at some of the more popular Oracle projects today. Uh, the first and the most obvious one to talk about is Chainlink, which was pretty much the first mover uh, and uh, it's, it's pretty much the clear leader at this point in the Oracle space. Uh, they have the most number of industry partnerships and a good chunk of the most popular DeFi applications use their data feeds at this point. So um, to give a very quick overview of what the Chainlink ecosystem looks like. So uh, in the Chainlink ecosystem, you have two main entities called node operators and data providers. Node operators are the people who keep the distributed network running. So, for example, when a smart contract requests data from outside the blockchain, 
it would be provided by a node from the Chainlink network. Data providers, uh, they are nothing but the people or entities who provide accurate data through the Chainlink network to various blockchains. So this is completely open source and uh, anyone can become a data provider. And so the philosophy here is to make the data collection as decentralized as possible so that you have an incentive to have data from many different sources. And uh, that data becomes more and more reliable and accurate as many different data providers compete uh, to provide it and you know get paid for it. Then to give an overview of the economics of the system, they have an Ethereum-based token called Link, which has two primary use cases. One, uh, it is used to pay the node operators in the Chainlink network. So for example, anytime a smart contract from the Ethereum blockchain requests uh, real-world data, uh, example, the price of a commodity in a specific application, the node that is providing this data to the smart contract would be paid in the Link token. Uh, the second purpose is that it is used as a means of depositing value by the people running the oracles and providing data. So uh, this is kind of like an insurance to make sure that they stay up and running. And uh, you know, if, if for some reason they have a downtime and they don't provide the requested data, this deposit can then be taken away. So uh, that's a very quick top level explanation of how the Chainlink ecosystem is designed and kind of the uh, incentive mechanism behind it. And to just look into how this actually plays out to ensure that the data being provided is accurate. Uh, every time a smart contract requests data, Chainlink actually creates three subcontracts for that request. So uh, first you have uh, something called a reputation contract, which checks on a data provider's reputation and their past track record of uh, providing accurate data. The uh, second is what is called an order matching contract, which matches the data request to the right set of data providers. And third, you have uh, something called an aggregating contract, which aggregates the data from all the data providers and uh, you know it provides it back to the smart contract in a meaningful way. So this is a very quick overview of how Chainlink as a system is designed to operate. Nikhil, do you want to go into more details of how all of this works? No, I think you co covered it quite well. Uh, uh, if I might kind of like uh, uh, double click on a couple of things. Uh, one is basically that to emphasize the chain link essentially is a protocol and uh, it is a uh, it is its own blockchain it's got its own it's not exactly they don't call it a blockchain but it's its own less set of nodes and it's it's its own network right right and uh, the idea essentially is that you can create your own sets you can create different sets of networks but uh, as long as you follow the chain link protocol uh, and you use link uh, it is uh, you provide a you know a, a, a single kind of uh, standardized way in which to uh, get your data consumers to submit requests to you right so when your data consumer uh, or uh, somebody on the ethereum um, blockchain or a smart contract on the ethereum blockchain for example wants a piece of information or wants a particular price feed uh, they have uh, they use the standard set of uh, chain link smart contracts uh, that you pointed out to kind of interact with the various data providers and kind of get that information and uh, based on the reputation they can uh, it, it kind of comes back and it is provided uh, in a decentralized manner uh, one of the things i like about chain uh, chain link is that uh, they've been working quite hard to Kind of expand this network right and make it very developer friendly and easy to kind of set up a node be a node operator as well as to consume uh, data from the node and uh, the other thing i like about it is that it's kind of uh, 
very abstract as to what kind of data is being provided. So you can have node operate. The node operators basically define kind of okay. This is what the data providers define what what uh, kind of data they are going to provide in what kind of format, and uh, you just pick uh, based on that. So uh, the second project that we want to talk about is called the Band Protocol. Uh, after Chainlink, I would say it's one of the most important Oracle projects out there. So uh, one of the differences from a very top-level perspective between Chainlink and Band is that uh, while Chainlink deals with any and all kinds of real-world data for a wide variety of applications on uh, blockchain networks, Band focuses mostly on DeFi applications, uh, is, is what I've understood. So uh, And also, unlike Chainlink, the Band protocol actually has its own blockchain that is built on the Cosmos network. So uh, with that, uh, one of their key stated advantages is that uh, an Oracle on Ethereum would be slow and expensive. And so Band being on Cosmos is meant to provide improvement in both cost and response time compared to Ethereum-based Oracles. So uh, to talk a little bit about its blockchain, so Band uses a delegated proof-of-stake model. So like any DPoS uh, ecosystem, you have validators and delegators. Uh, delegators choose their delegates. Uh, here, the validators are the ones who fetch the real-world data and provide it to the smart contract that's requesting that data. Uh, and so if uh, the data provided by a validator is reliable and accurate, they're rewarded with band tokens. And uh, like any DPoS uh, system, delegators stake their coins with the validators of their choice and they earn a percentage of whatever the validators earn in the form of band tokens. So uh, Nikhil, do you want to touch on some more details of how band works and how it's different from Chainlink? Sure. So what's interesting about band uh, is that A, like uh, you pointed out, it's on Cosmos and it's a DPoS. So obviously uh, that's a lot, uh, it's a different kind of a interoperable, uh, interoperable blockchain on Cosmos and it is using IBC bridges to kind of try to be uh, uh, something that can bridge into various different types of blockchains, right? So not just Ethereum focused, uh, it's trying to be something for the, all the blockchains. The second part of it is that's interesting is that uh, developers actually can build the Oracle script that they want, right? So they can basically, they, they would write a script that says, okay, this is the type, this is the set of data providers uh, and data feeds. This is the URL that I want the data from. And this is the type of uh, uh, information that I require, right? And uh, this is what needs to be done and then send it back. And basically that script resides on the, uh, they, they basically put that script on the band uh, blockchain. And uh, the validate, validator's job basically is when they, uh, when anybody wants to run that script and they provide the appropriate number of band, a random number of validators from the list of validators are chosen and the validator simply executes that script. So the validator itself is not making any uh, specific limitations or making any specific constraints around what it will do. It will just run the script, get the data and give it over and then basically uh, that's what it is. That's what the validator is. That's the performance that, of the validator that is being scrutinized, right? So you want to make sure that the validator is doing its job properly there. Uh, and this is, this is possible also because, uh, of the focus on DeFi. So you're looking at a limited number of 
data providers or a limited type of a certain type of data right you're not actually getting any type of data so it's not like an open uh, get whatever you want and the other interesting thing about band is that band actually provides uh, their own standard data set so if you just want to get say the prices of the various cryptocurrencies uh, there is a band state, uh, standard data set that is already available that you can just simply pull. Yeah, so there is in addition to uh, this idea of Oracle scripts uh, that you write on your own, they also provide their own competing kind of standard input uh, that you can actually leverage if you want. Great. So uh, moving on, apart from Chainlink and Band, there's actually many Oracle-based projects out there. Uh, you have the DOS network, DIA, uh, Eternity, and many others. Uh, but the last one that we thought of touching upon is uh, called Teller. Uh, Teller is designed a bit differently from Chainlink and Band. So uh, their primary focus is more on the level of decentralization when it comes to providing external data rather than the speed or response time. So uh, in Teller, uh, just like in uh, any Oracle system, the queries come from a smart contract that's requesting data from the external world. But the difference is that in this case, they come with a tip that is attached to the query. Uh, these queries are then received by Teller's smart contract that takes them and uh, sorts them on the basis of how much tip is associated with them and then passes them on to the data providers to respond to the query. Uh, but here, the data providers are actually a part of Teller's proof of work system where uh, they have to compete with each other to win the mining reward uh, to be able to provide the data that, that was requested by the query. Uh, and uh, the first five data providers or miners in this case uh, that solve that proof of work challenge, their data values are taken uh, and then the teller smart contract takes a median of these five values and considers that as the official data value, you know, as a response to the query. So this is quite different from something like a chain link. Uh, Nikhil, any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, a quite a different approach, right? Here, what we are doing is we are basically saying, okay, uh, we will have a proof of work algorithm to, uh, and and miners basically have to mine that particular proof of work algorithm to qualify uh, to provide the data. And uh, basically, the uh, quote unquote tip basically is uh, such that okay. Uh, there is a set of queries uh, uh, based on the tip and then the tips basically are uh, divided uh, half of the total value of the tips that are going to be that that have been responded to are uh, given to the five miners and the other half is burnt right so there is a, uh, a particular uh, way in which this particular tip is uh, uh, distributed as well uh, the other interesting thing about it is that uh, in order to be a miner, uh, the miners basically uh, stake tokens, right? So uh, the, the the stake of these miners basically can be lost if they are uh, challenged. So as soon as the miners provide their values, so miners basically win the proof of work, the, 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 the winning five miners, top five miners, uh, uh, when they provide the value of the price or whatever uh, uh, data that is being sent back uh, that particular uh, price can be disputed uh, and if you dispute that price uh, it can be disputed by uh, putting up a bond so there is a certain amount 
so anybody in the network who has the teller tributes right so they're called tributes uh, they can dispute the validity of a mind value by paying this fee so there is a dispute fee and uh, at any point in the next two days you can actually vote on the validity of that particular data point or that data value uh, by paying this particular fee and uh, if the uh, vote determines that the uh, value is correct uh, the dispute fee is paid to the miner and if the vote uh, there is a voting period and if the vote basically determines that the data point is false uh, then the miner loses their stake right and the other interesting thing is that okay uh, a miner is uh, restricted to uh, one block every uh, so each miner address cannot win successive blocks so you cannot as soon as if you win one block then you have to wait approximately around three blocks before you get a chance to win another one so the the that this kind of ensures that you know it is not always one miner who is kind of responding to a particular uh, data set of data queries so out of all the different approaches that we discussed do you have any preference towards any one of these specific mechanisms or uh, do, do you think any one of them would be more suitable for a specific application so uh, obviously uh, a lot of it depends on uh, uh, what your uh, data requirement is right so if you want in terms of uh, if you wanted to look at it in terms of the uh, wide variety of data being available then obviously chainlink is the 800 pound gorilla here they've got a, they've got the most maturity and they have the widest variety of data as well i think and uh, uh, you know so uh, there seems to be a, a good solution to go to if you want uh, more than just price data right but the drawback obviously is that uh, uh, they are uh, more expensive that's and it's uh, Uh, it's a more decentralized but uh, i mean it, it depends on what what node operator and uh, how how many node operators are giving you data and then there is the whole reputation stuff it's a little bit more complex there band uh, is uh, obviously being a proof of stake system on cosmos it's quite fast uh, it's also very focused and if you're just simply asking for or needing just a price feed uh, and you're like building something sim- uh, something on in the defi space like an amm or a lending protocol between cryptocurrencies then they offer that standard data set which is quite compelling uh, it's kind of an easy uh, decision to just say okay fine i'll just use band um, the downside obviously is that the standard data set is created by band so you kind of trusting them to make sure that they are not malicious or whatever right um, the uh, teller uh, option is most interesting because uh, i would consider it the most decentralized and uh, the most kind of it's it's a, it's a very kind of a blockchain solution right it's it's a, it's got <laughs> right. uh, it's got proof of work and it's got disputing and it's got all of that game theory in it but uh, the downside of it is that uh, you still have to wait two days to be fully sure whether the data you're getting is actually right right so maybe if you're doing something which is uh requiring uh, uh speed and accuracy uh then there's a small chance that you have higher risk with teller because you know uh, it it may not i mean you might have uh, realized that okay you've been uh, you're getting the wrong data and uh, by the time you dispute it and figure it out it's already too late you've already 
used uh, uh, done your action based on that data so uh, these are kind of different approaches uh, obviously depending on how uh, time sensitive or how uh, specific uh, your data needs are you can choose from any of these and there are like you pointed out uh, other options as well dia is another one which is upcoming uh, and there are uh, do uh, and uh, several others that I'm, uh, i can't think of the names right now but there are several other good ones that are there so uh, lastly to talk about the path forward right it looks like you know with all of these different protocols and different approaches for giving price feeds and other valuable data in a decentralized manner for real world applications uh, it's fair to say that the industry is surely growing uh, especially with more and more real world partnerships from companies and other institutions generally speaking in my view the success of oracles is directly tied to the success of defi as a whole at least for now so uh, how do you see the future unfolding for some of these oracle projects and uh, the industry in general you know with the adoption of more defi products uh, that use these data feeds coming from these oracles sure i'm i'm going to take this opportunity to kind of clarify a little bit uh, further uh, i think i was a little incoherent earlier when i when you talked when i talked about you know uh, you have a very excellent question answered your excellent question about you know how relevant uh, an oracle is to a blockchain system uh, as compared to the internet right and uh, uh, as i thought about it a little bit uh, i think a better comparison might be uh, the use of sensors and uh, getting data from the real world right so uh, when you think about the internet you have systems that uh, like a, a, like a classic system would be like a massively multiplayer online rpg play role playing game uh, where you are uh, inside this completely simulated world and uh, there is no external input everything that's happening is within the game and there is no external uh, you, you're not aware of the real world everything that's happening is a consequence of the actions of all the other people around you and uh, all all the players in that massive uh, game right and uh, you know nowadays with the virtual reality you can almost be lulled into thinking that's the real world right and that's that you're inside this alternate universe and uh, you're doing your thing and uh, if you look at science fiction that's basically where everybody's pointing to uh, when you when i see the future of blockchains right uh, i see blockchains basically as a uh, a system uh, a financial uh, system uh, or a value based uh, value trading system that will become a backbone for these kind of worlds right so eventually i don't know in some science fiction scenario we may end up being like uh, inside this completely controlled simulation where everything is within itself and uh, there is no external input and we don't care about any external input and everything is hunky dory matrix is real huh <laughs> yeah the matrix the matrix is real but even in the matrix you had uh, then external inputs coming in that caused uh, fluctuation in your matrix right <laughs> you had right. had the had the people coming in and uh, you had uh, systems going down that kind of caused glitches as they said right and uh, so at the end of the day unless until you reach that particular situation right 
oracles are going to be there and oracles need to be there because you cannot build something that's completely self-contained without that external input provided to you because if you don't provide an external input you will have a black swan event or some kind of thing that you cannot anticipate uh, that kind of disturbs that system and uh, the obvious response to that is say okay fine we need to make sure that we have information about these external things that are happening outside the system and uh, those external things basically need to be reliable it needs to be trustable right uh, i need to be able to uh, make sure that okay somebody is not crying wolf it is actually a real thing that's happening right so as long as that happen that that is there that need for external input is there and that trust need for that trust is there you will always have oracles so it doesn't matter if defi is the problem of uh, opportunity right now NFTs might be the next opportunity I don't know but even in NFTs you need an oracle because right. you need some way to be able to say okay fine uh, I'm going to pay x for this particular piece of art what does that art mean right and uh, what does that actually mean right and how do I make sure that the value of what I'm saying what I'm paying in whatever currency I'm paying is the right value for example so it's uh, i'm just taking nfts as an example but my point basically the larger po- point that i'm trying to make is oracles kind of like a fundamental piece of uh, the blockchain ecosystem uh, in fact of all closed systems right one of the interesting things i've uh, i've noticed while while i was looking into oracles is that now it's not just blockchains that are using oracles <laughs> the other day i was uh, reading up about how uh oracles are now being used by the regular financial system the centralized financial system right so uh they they're being used as data feeds for financial markets uh derivatives commodities uh the regular insurance markets uh, uh insurance companies are using their data mainly because they have realized that okay given the strict requirements of a blockchain that an oracle has to meet in order to meet that particular let's say obsession that blockchains have to make sure that whatever data that comes in is is valid and uh, uh, there is a comp- uh, that it is decentralized and there is no uh, malicious manipulation happening right the transparency all of those kind of attributes are actually equally valuable in the centralized world today right so uh, un- until these oracles came up for the blockchains the centralized world had been kind of living on this compromise model of okay i trust you because uh, of this particular contract or uh, because your reputation precedes you whatever it is right is this kind of soft idea of trust whereas um, the oracle uh, requirements for the blockchain have kind of brought this new model up where it is a more harder mathematical almost mathematical or game theoretic idea of trust right i i trust the oracle the the oracles basically have higher standards for data validity and data uh, and 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 making sure the data is uh, is trustworthy and so that that kind of almost kind of gives them this additional market that they can attack and 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 uh, and be useful for all right folks that concludes our podcast We hope that you enjoyed this episode. 
We also urge you to check out our first episode that covers the basics of oracles. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. And also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.